0: Hey there, everybody. Just wanted to welcome in all of our listeners to Pad the Stats, our fantasy football podcast where we cover everything fantasy football. If you have any questions following the show, please hit us up at Pad the Stats on Twitter. We're more than happy to help you out with any questions that you might have. So without further ado, sit back and enjoy the show. Special, Jameis Winston will not appeal his three-game suspension, and he will miss the first three weeks of the 2018 season. So, how does that affect things? We'll jump into that and much more on another edition of Pad the Stats. I'm your host, James Swanson, here on Thursday, June 28th. Of course, the Jameis Winston news kicks us off today. We just found out a couple hours ago that he will indeed miss the first three weeks of this football season. So, how does that affect the Bucs' offense? How does that affect the quarterback rankings, and where does Jameis Winston find himself now in my rankings? Where am I going to put him? I'll let you know that and much more here. We'll talk about some more league news and notes. We're going to talk about a little segment today, new places, new faces. So guys who are in a new home this year, and I'll let you know kind of what to expect from these guys. Eric Ebron, we're going to talk a little Brandon Cooks, Alan Hearns, CJ Anderson. There's a lot of other guys that we need to get to as well, so we're going to break this up probably into a couple different episodes because... We just can't fit everything about guys who are going to a new team this year into one episode. So I'll talk about those guys. I'll talk about more about our second-year guys. I promised you I would get back to that segment as well. We have a lot to talk about because the 2017 draft was just stacked with a lot of playmakers, a lot of skilled guys on the offensive side of the football. We're going to talk Dalvin Cook. We're going to talk Joe Mixon. We're going to talk Juju Smith-Schuster. And a couple guys that maybe you have forgot about that might, just might, I'm not promising anything, but they might hold some dynasty value down the road. We'll talk about those two guys as well. I don't want to give anything away yet, though. Into the league news and notes. So again, I, I can't harp on it enough. The biggest news today, and we all know it now, a couple hours ago, Jameis Winston suspended three games for this season. So where does that leave him in my rankings? I'm going to have to... You know, I I took a little bit of a look at this earlier. And I did have him right around QB 15. I'm going to end up pushing him down a couple spots. Just kind of taking a look at it. You know, I would still rather have Jameis Winston over Dak Prescott and Alex Smith. But I am pushing him behind Marcus Mariota and Patrick Mahomes at this point. I had him above all four of those guys. I'm going to push him and sandwich him in the middle between Prescott, Smith, and Mariota and Mahomes. So... You know, I, I just think that you have to give him a little bit of a downgrade. We saw Winston miss some time last year with that shoulder injury, and this kind of sums up to be sort of the same thing, just a different reason why he's missing some time. But it certainly puts a damper on things, and they have the bye in Week 5, and they have a game at Chicago in Week 4, so it really doesn't get pretty for Mar- for Winston until Week 6. So this sucks. This is not a great situation that we want to be in with Jameis Winston with the Bucs offense. But in terms of their skill players, I'm not moving Mike Evans anywhere. I think he still can flourish with Ryan Fitzpatrick or whoever is behind center for the time being until Winston gets back under center. Um, I wouldn't downgrade really too much of any of the guys. I'll have to take another look because, again, we just found out official that he'll be missing the three games. There was some speculation that that was going to happen, but we didn't have any official word on it yet. Now we do. So as of right now, skill players for Tampa Bay, not moving them quite anywhere yet, especially Evans. I'll have to take a little bit closer look at the other guys. Moving on. So we know Randall Cobb. Some of this stuff was from last week. This is the the first time that I've podcasted since last Wednesday. So we know that, that Randall Cobb as well is in a walking boot, but there is no word yet. No... I guess they're optimistic, the Packers are, that he's not going to miss any time in the regular season and it's just going to be limited to what he can do in training camp. He could miss some time in camp in August. Kenneth Dixon is reportedly pushing Buck Allen for the number two role in the Ravens offense. Browns running backs coach Freddie Kitchen says the Browns will ride the hot hand at the position this year, but I have also just heard that Nick Chubb is definitely has a shot to take that number one role. Keep an eye on that situation. I think he definitely has a nice chance to maybe be the number one back this year over Carlos Hyde. We already know what Duke Johnson's role is. He's not going to be a guy who's going to carry the load and run in between the tackles 15 or 20 times a game. But look for Nick Chubb to potentially push Carlos Hyde for that number one for those early down uh, carries for the Browns. James Washington is expected to be the Steelers' number three receiver. Not expecting a lot there. Again, I think he's a nice dynasty ad. If you can get him in the middle rounds of your dynasty draft, um, you know, third third round dynasty draft somewhere in there, I think you would be pretty happy with it. I wouldn't expect a whole lot in terms of redraft. So unless you have an extremely deep bench, if you're like you play in a league like we do where we only have three or four bench positions, you're probably not gonna draft James Washington, and I would advise against it. But in a dynasty league, sure, it is. He's a nice option in those middle rounds, early to middle rounds, where you can have some, you know, a guy like James Washington stash him in hopes that. Look, we know that Ben's might only play another three seasons, but in the long haul, we're hoping that Mason Rudolph can can eventually be the Steelers' quarterback. And we know those two have a rapport together from their days at Oklahoma State. Le'Veon Bell, sticking with the Steelers' news here, he says that. The Steelers and, and himself remain close in contract negotiations. Now, we've heard this story before. I'm not getting too excited about this yet because it seems to be the same old story of Le'Veon thinks that they're much closer in contract negotiations this year. We've heard that since the beginning of the calendar year. I still think that he's going to play under the franchise tag this season, and next year he'll walk out of Pittsburgh. JJ Nelson is in mix for the Cardinals number 2 role. That's promising because I think a lot of people have just been kind of paying attention to the to the drafting of Christian Kirk, but we know that Christian Kirk is probably going to be a more of a slot guy as his career kind of takes off and, and develops. And JJ Nelson is going to be that number 2 in the outside and it appears that Bryce Butler has really failed to impress this offseason and it's no sure thing that Butler's even a, a lock to make the roster at this point. So, JJ Nelson could be somebody that I think has some really nice potential as a, a really solid flex play. Um you know, I don't I don't want to go right as far right now as to saying he's going to be somebody who's going to be a, a locked-in number 2 receiver or anything like that. But he, re- I think he really has some nice potential as a very solid flex play this season, especially if he can stay healthy. We know he's not a big physical receiver by any means. He's he, he's fairly small in stature, but he can really, really fly. I know he runs in the four twos, so you know it, it's somebody that I think that they get a, a nice upgrade in quarterback this year with Sam Bradford, and it's a it's interesting to see. How the Cardinals go with their wide receivers outside of Larry Fitzgerald? Talking about the Denver backfield, Royce Freeman is reportedly pushing Devontae Booker for the starting job. Um, that's another guy too, where you know if that comes out before camp that Royce Freeman has won that job, that's somebody to take a serious look at, and has, he he has the capability from everything that I've seen and heard to be a three down back. Now, what that means is you're probably potentially looking at a very good or probably a solid RB2 in his rookie season, depending on the state of that Broncos offensive line, that has not been great. But I think they get a little bit healthier this year, and Freeman, if he does win that starting job, has a potential to be maybe a steal for you, particularly if you're drafting right now and that situation is still up in the air. Julian Edelman's appeal was heard yesterday, We, or sorry, not yesterday, but on Monday. We still don't know anything yet. Uh, keep you updated on that. Ron Rivera says he won't be surprised if Christian McCaffrey reaches 200 carries this season. I find that hard to believe. We're going to talk more about Christian McCaffrey, particularly when we talk about C.J. Anderson with our New Places, New Faces guy, so uh, watch out for that here in a few minutes. Brace Butler, who I already mentioned, has failed to impress this offseason, and he he isn't a lock to make the roster. So that, again, the Cardinals inter- wide receiver group is interesting when you talk about beyond Larry Fitzgerald, because can Christian Kirk step up and be a factor in his rookie season? What do we expect from J.J. Nelson that Jerron Brown and John Brown are, are now elsewhere? It's an inter- interesting scene to be kind of take in because there's got to be somebody else in that offense other than David Johnson, other than Larry Fitzgerald, that is going to be potentially a flex play for you on a week-to-week basis or or a spot start here and there who could get you some points, and I think J.J. Nelson's probably going to be that guy. Okay, let me catch my breath here. So much easier doing this with other people. It's really hard doing it solo. And we had some technical difficulties last night, or I should say some audio difficulties last night with our Skype call with, I had Pat and Jake on, so I'm kind of winging, not winging this today, I shouldn't put it that way, because I, I have all my notes, and I have everything from the podcast that we did last night, but it's it's just, you take for granted how much harder it is to just sit here and do by yourself, and you're like, whew, gotta catch your breath every once in a while. Okay, on to our next, our first segment of the day. New places, new faces, I already mentioned that. Now, I'm going to go through each four of these guys, and I'm going to talk about, hey, are these guys going to succeed? Are they not going to succeed in their new home? I'll give you some reasons why. The first guy, and I had started writing notes about this guy last week because I've been hearing, I keep seeing these news updates about how much Eric Ebron has impressed in Lions Camp to this point. And it, it baffles me. It really baffles me because here's a guy who... Was a former first round pick, has all the talent in the world. Physically, he's gifted, he's six foot four, he's two hundred and fifty-five pounds, he can run, he can jump, he's physical, he can he has had some drop issues, but we know the physical gifts are there. So what's the problem with Eric Ebron and why has it not materialized from his time in Detroit? So he, now we hear all these things that he is really impressing in Colts camp. I think we should probably pump the brakes on that a little bit. What should we really expect? You're looking at a guy who's never finished better than the 12th tight end in standard, in fantasy points per game over the last four, over his first four seasons in the league. And he only has 11 touchdowns in four seasons, and he played with a quarterback in Matt Stafford, who's been top eight in pass attempts each of those seasons. So the volume's been there in the Detroit offense. It's a pass-happy offense. They don't particularly run the ball well. Everything should have set up for Eric Ebron to be a very, very good fantasy tight end, a top eight fantasy tight end, and it never happened. It's concerning because now he goes to an Indianapolis offense where if Andrew Luck, we're going to assume that Andrew Luck is healthy to begin the 2018 season, he's going to be under center for the Colts. But he goes to an offense where Jack Doyle is already there. And Jack Doyle's a guy who's averaged 92 targets per year over the last two years. So there's a lot to compete with there. Now, look, I don't expect Jack Doyle with Eric Ebron there to have 92 targets or or average that again. Okay, that's certainly going to come down. But how many targets can we realistically expect from the tight end position? I mean, 120 targets, 130 targets is probably pushing it. So... Look, I just don't think the the volume's going to be there. I don't think that the production has meant the, met the talent for Eric Ebron to warrant high fantasy expectations again this season. So I'm going to say no to him succeeding in his new home. I think we're going to see the same old Ebron. I think he has a very good chance to be right around what he was in Detroit. But even if he's tight end 10 or 11... We know that significant drop off after you get past tight end five six, on down. It, it's significant. I mean, you have your staples there in Kyle Rudolph, that are going to hang around six seven eight potentially, but once you get past that, even if Eric Ebron is the t- you know tenth or eleventh tight end, it isn't somebody that you're going to want to start on a week to week basis. You probably can't. So you're going to get your streaming options, your streaming opportunities with Eric Ebron, but don't expect this news that he has just been so impressive in Colts camp to turn into him being a full-time starter in your fantasy lineup. That's really all I want to say on that is just temper your expectations because we're talking about a guy, again, It's never the production has never met the, ta- met the talent on the field. And from a fantasy perspective, you're talking about a, about a guy who's never had more than 61 receptions in a season. So, look, can he get 50 or 55 catches? I think that's possible, but I don't think you're going to get, you know, more than 70 or 80 targets from this guy. Probably more than 70 targets for this guy. We'll see. It's in, It'll be interesting to see how much of a rapport him and Luck can build Again, assuming Luck is healthy week one, in those first few weeks of the season, I think that'll be extremely telling. Okay, on to my next guy, Brandon Cooks. Another guy that I'm just really interested in. Because Brandon Cooks is kind of like a little bit of what Juju Smith-Schuster did last year. Not the same player, by any means. But Brandon Cooks is this guy who's going to... You know, he had 65 catches, 1,082 yards... Who's gonna be a little bit higher in the yards per catch category than, than most guys because he can he can stretch the field a little bit, but the consistency always isn't always there. And he played with two really good quarterbacks, in Drew Brees and Tom Brady. I'll have to pull up his numbers from this time in, in New Orleans, but I know they were pretty good. He had a couple seasons there were that were very, very good in a pass happy offense. I just have my doubts. Why has this guy been jumping around the league like this? It can't be good. It can't be good when you've been traded twice, you know, and you're still only 24 years old and you're on your third team. What does that say about you as a teammate, as a person, as a player? I'm not saying that, it, that Barron and Cooks has done anything definitively wrong, but it, you gotta you got to wonder. You almost have to wonder why. Why why can't he stick with with one team? And he's not even twenty five years old yet. So just a few few of the numbers on Brandon Cooks and and just kind of how I feel about him this year. You know, last year he I believe he finishes the number fifteen receiver in I believe it was standard with. I'll have to take a, another look at that, but I believe he finishes fifteenth receiver with the Patriots. And look, he he has topped a thousand yards and 114 targets each of the last three seasons. And you're looking at 92 targets left behind by Sammy Watkins and Tavon Austin. But when you take a look, little bit deeper look into this, you, you know that Cooper Cup's still there, Robert Woods are still is still there, and they've built an excellent rapport with Jared Goff. And Goff's a guy who was 18th in attempts last year with 478, so the volume in that passing game is not extremely, extremely high, and they're still going to run the want to run the ball, A lot with Todd Gurley. So I don't see that four hundred and seventy eight pass attempts going up very significantly. Now the eighty seven targets that went to Todd Gurley last year, I think that's gonna come down just a little bit. I I just I I just cannot see him getting eighty seven targets again, and I can't see him getting nineteen touchdowns again. So I think something has to change there a little bit. But at the end of the day, I can't see Brandon Cooks having more than 105 targets this season. So I don't see him necessarily reaching that 114 mark that he met each of the last three seasons. I just don't think there's going to be quite enough to go around there. So if I'm looking at the numbers, I'm projecting him to be right around wide receiver number 22, 194 fantasy points at the end of this season is what I have him at, 66 catches, 926 yards, 6 touchdowns. He, look, he's still a top 24 receiver for me, but I I would rather have... Um, you know, he's just a little bit lower for me than probably where he's going at this point. So I don't think that you should necessarily expect Brandon Cooks to be a top 16 or top 18 wide receiver. I'm just saying, look, he's going to be a solid number two, but I just have my doubts in that Rams offense. I think they're going to take a little bit of a step back this season, particularly Jared Goff in the passing game. I, I still think they're going to be a a fine team. And I could certainly see them still winning 10 games. But I just don't see how Brandon Cooks can be a number one receiver after, you know, leaving Tom Brady, leaving Drew Brees, and now going into this situation. I, I just don't see it. Sorry if something got a little loud there. I'm I'm knocking stuff all over my desk right now. It's just a mess. It's been a long day. Bear with me. So anyway, that that's kind of how I feel about Brandon Cooks. Just to to kind of put a bow on this, I feel good. I don't feel great. I feel like he should be going a little bit lower than he currently is off the pull up his ADP. But I think that you should expect a pretty solid number two receiver and not a number one. Okay. My third guy. Alan Hearns goes from Jacksonville to, to Dallas. We know that. A couple of years ago, he had a great season. 2015, 64 catches, 1,031 yards, 10 touchdowns. Efficiency wasn't all that great, but, man, 10, 10 touchdowns. He had a heck of a season. Now, we know the struggles that Blake Bortles has had, and certainly Alan Hearns has been affected by that. He did not show very well last season, last year, in the offseason before camp, and he had kind of kind of fallen down the depth chart a little bit from what I understand. But he, he didn't play that badly last year. So look, he goes into a situation where the Cowboys are leaving behind 242 combined targets. Jason Witten, Dez, Bryce Butler, all gone. So you're you're talking about almost 250 targets that have to go somewhere. Okay. Maybe 225. Because I, I Dak had 490 pass attempts last season, six games that that Zeke missed. I expect him to lean heavily on the running game again, but I gotta imagine you're still he's still going to be north of 450 pass attempts. I can't I can't imagine it gets that low where you know he's still not. He, I, I still gotta believe that he's somewhere around 15 in pass attempts, right? So sorry if I'm still sniffling to it. I just can't get over this dang cold. It's unreal. It's like, you know what? You go to California. It's beautiful out there. I'm drinking wine the whole time. Having the time of my life. I hop on a plane. I come on my way back. I'm sick as a dog. And it's been like this for like 10 days. And I cannot figure it out. So, I, I don't know. But we're working through it. And it is what it is. So, look. Alan Hearns, I don't think he should have a problem seeing 110 plus targets. That might sound like a lot for Alan Hearns, but it's, I mean, where else are they going to go? You know, we've seen enough from Cole Beasley. We've seen enough from Terrence Williams to know that those guys are not going to be number one material receivers at this point in their careers. Michael Gallup, from everything that I've seen and read, certainly has the opportunity to be at this point. And everything is promising, but we know that rookie-wide receivers don't particularly play consistently in their first season. He's going to have moments, I believe, and I think he's going to look like a number one receiver at times. And maybe for stretches in the season. But I have a feeling that at the, the beginning of the season, late in the season, whatever it is, you're going to get six to eight games of Michael Gallup looking like a rookie who picks up the slack, and I think that's Alan Hearns. So, look, 70 catches, 950 yards, four touchdowns, you're putting him right around 190 fantasy points, and that's the number 24 wide receiver. That's right where Dez was last year. I don't think that's out of the question. Now, am I drafting him there? No, but currently, Alan Hearns is being drafted as the number 43 wide receiver in a 12-team PPR. Man, I just feel like that's a little bit low. So, look, I would prefer him over some guys like Marquise Goodwin. These are guys going ahead of him currently. Jordy Nelson. I would even probably take him over Cooper Cup right now. Devontae Parker, I am flat on my face on because I just do not do not believe in the Dolphins passing game. Devontae Parker has to show me something for, before I believe it, and Ryan Tannehill has to show me something before I believe it. Will Fuller, I just, look, he's another guy who I just think he, he has to regress a little bit with the touchdowns, but he has just been like shot out of a cannon so far in his career, especially the way he played with Deshaun Watson in those few games last season. But I would take Alan Hearns above all. I, I just think that Alan Hearns is going to have a better season than all of those guys right there combined. Because, not combined, you know what I mean, but he's going to have a better season than, than each of those guys just based on the opportunity. You know, if he if he's going to see that many targets, and you know, you give him that sixty to sixty two percent catch rate, which I think is certainly not out of the question, then you're looking at a guy that's going to finish the season around seventy catches, and that's going to turn into a top thirty receiver season. So the verdict on Alan Hearns is yes, I think Alan Hearns has a very good chance to succeed in his new home, and that's, again, based a lot on the opportunity and the benefit from being probably the number one receiver in that offense. Okay, on to number four, C.J. Anderson. I talked about Christian McCaffrey earlier. The word from Carolina Ron Rivera is all on the Christian McCaffrey train. We know that. 200 carries is what he's saying. I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. C.J. Anderson is a better Jonathan Stewart at this point in his career. He's 27, 28 years old. Jonathan Stewart, I believe, is going on 32 if he's not 32 already. He's leaving behind 198 carries and six touchdowns in Carolina. He had double-digit carries in every game but two last year. I think C.J. Anderson is going to have close to, if not double-digit carries in every game except a handful this year. Cam Newton had 139 carries last season. That's the most in his career. That number is going to go down. It should go down because if they want to continue to put number one behind center as their franchise quarterback for however long, they're not going to be able to give him the rock and say, hey, 140 carries, 130 carries. That number's probably going to come down to somewhere around 100, 110, I have to imagine. So there's 20 or 30, maybe even 40 more carries on the board. And this is a team in Carolina that was third in the NFL last year with 490 attempts. So, look, I think for CG Anderson, I originally had said 200 attempts I think is definitely attainable. Now I do believe that McCaffrey's number, you know, carries are going to go up, and he might be somewhere in the range of 160, 170. But I, I think that CJ Anderson has a a legitimate chance if he comes in there and shows that hey, you know, I was a top 15 running back last year. I still have what it takes to carry the ball, not an absurd amount of times, but I'm, you know, I'm still in my late 20s. I haven't been overused too, too much at this point in my career. And if he can come in and show that he'll be efficient, that's something that Christian McCaffrey didn't do last year between the tackles. 3.7 yards per carry, I think it was. So, I think C.J. Anderson's somebody that we're forgetting about a little bit. But, look, if he gets 200 carries, which I'm not saying he's going to, but I, I think... Dang sure he's going to get at least 180 carries, 185 carries. But let's say he gets 200 carries. That's 825 yards. It's five touchdowns thrown on top of that. Let's say 20 catches. McCaffrey, let's say McCaffrey gets 75. Let's say C.J. Anderson catches 20 balls. 160 yards more in the receiving department. And you're looking at a top 24 running back. Nothing crazy, but in a 12-team league, You're going to get a low-end number two running back. I mean, call me crazy, but I just don't know if Christian McCaffrey is going to catch 80 balls, run the ball 200, 215 times, and hold up this entire season. I know he's a special athlete, and I've watched him since he was at Stanford, and he is something else. But, man, I just got to believe that they brought C.J. Anderson in there for a reason. And those almost 200 carries from Jonathan Stewart last year got to go somewhere. McCaffrey is going to get more. I don't deny that. But I I, I just have to think that C.J. Anderson is going to pick up a decent amount of that slack. And in my eyes, you're looking at a low-end number two running back. So yes, the verdict on C.J. Anderson is he will return some okay RB2 numbers. And you'll be pretty happy with him. And he's going to, I think, overall succeed in his new home given kind of what the expectations are right now, which from a lot of people, I think people are forgetting about him. And if you aren't forgetting about him, that the expectations are fairly low. Okay, that does it for our new places, new faces, guys. Like I said, we have a lot more to talk about there. That, that's not the end of that. There are so many more guys. Sammy Watkins. God, I, I, off the top of my head, I mean, I'm just missing a ton of guys. Even some really, really low sleepers, deep, Draft guys like Terrell Pryor, you know we we definitely want to just keep kind of talking about these guys, profiling these these guys over the summer to give you an idea of hey, how do they fit into their new offense? How do the numbers translate? What are the the, the target shares left behind? The snaps left behind? Kind of give you all that information, let you digest it, so you know hey, is this guy going to be successful in, in his new offense? Is he going to be able to replicate what he did with his old team? Because most of these guys were expecting some sort of fantasy output, or we've seen it in the past, but a lot of times we don't see it when they change teams. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do here and help you out with. All righty, back to our sophomores. Second year guys, 2017 draft. We're focusing on the second round today. So we're going to talk about Dalvin Cook who was the ninth pick in the second round last year. We're going to talk Joe Mixon, the 16th pick in last year's draft, or second round of last year's draft, sorry. And Juju Smith-Schuster to the Steelers, who was the 30th overall pick in the second round of last year's draft. But first, before we get to those guys, I have two guys that, man, they are not and they should not be on your radar at all in a redraft league. Two guys that were drafted very high in the second round last year, above those three guys that I had just mentioned, they were drafted to... When you're drafted that high as a skill position player, you're probably expected to come in and have some contributions in your first season, especially early in the second round, and these guys didn't do any of that. So what should we expect... From Zay Jones and from Curtis Samuel, right? I mean, dun, dun, dun. It's like, do we even want to talk about these guys? Like, that's just yucky. Like, it's just disgusting even thinking about Zay Jones and Curtis Samuel at this point. You probably even forgot that they were, there I go, throwing things again off my my desk. You probably forgot that these guys were even second-round picks last year. I kind of did. But Zay Jones went 5th overall in the 2nd round to the Bills, and Curtis Samuel was 8th in the 2nd round to the Panthers. So, again, we are not talking about these guys in a redraft league. You're not going to draft them. Zay Jones had the worst efficiency of any receiver in football last season. Just 27 catches on 74 targets. That is just awful. Just terrible. 36.5% I think that comes out to. I'll have to do the math. But Curtis Samuel, on the other hand, is looking like he's still not fully recovered from November ankle surgery. So not good outlooks for these two guys, particularly Zay Jones as well, who I think I'm probably a little bit higher on because just of the opportunity, Calvin Benjamin has shown that at this point in his career, the injuries are starting to stack up a little bit, the knee issues, the lower body issues. He's lost a step from what I can see on film. He doesn't have... Look, he only topped 45 yards once all last season with the Bills. So the opportunity for somebody, anybody to step up in the Bills receiving core is there. It's just a matter of Zay Jones can do it or not. And Curtis Samuel is just trying to find his way in the Panthers' offense. The fact that they just drafted D.J. Moore, the fact that Greg Olson is still there, Devin has stepped up last year. It's just going to be tough for Curtis Samuel to kind of find his way. So the biggest question I have, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on these guys, but is there any hope for them? And I want to talk about, look, in a dynasty format, are you even going to draft these guys? You know, in look, in dynasty format right now, keeper format, I have Zay Jones at ranked at 72, and Curtis Samuel is my 88th wide receiver. So... You're probably not looking at them, but I would I would caution with Zay Jones. I think he is still somebody who could be looked at as a late-round flyer. Curtis Samuel, on the other hand, I would, I would probably stay away from this point. But again, I wanted to bring these guys up just because of where they were drafted last year. And particularly second-year guys, they're very interesting because we either see it in year one and sometimes it doesn't replicate in year two, or you don't see anything in year one and then year two is a turnaround. These two guys, I don't see them necessarily turning it around this year, but if you're in a keeper format, if you're in a dynasty format, just kind of keep tabs and, and see how the usage is because clearly the Panthers and the Bills thought that these two players had talent when they drafted them, and the talent is probably there somewhere. It's just about navigating the NFL landscape and finding their way into some sort of a role and then producing in that role. So again, if you're in a dynasty format, just keep an eye on these two guys. Not saying that they're going to be anything this season by any means. And they might not be anything long term, but it's interesting because clearly somebody thought these two players had talent. Okay, Dalvin Cook. So, man, this guy was just amazing in his first four games last year before getting hurt. And it's promising so far this year. He participated in team drills earlier this month of June, and he's expected to participate in training camp. So all good across the board there. And look, in four games in 2017, just to give you a look at some of the numbers, it was phenomenal. Fifteen and a half points per game and half point PPR and 14.1 points per game in standard. Ninth, he would have been the you know, he was the ninth overall running back in standard. He was 8th in standard scoring and ninth in PPR. And look, he carried the ball a bunch, 22 times in week 1 versus New Orleans, 27 times in week 3 against Tampa Bay. He averaged at least 5.1 yards per carry in three of those four games. So the volume was there, the efficiency was there, the effectiveness, all of it. I mean, the guy looked really, really good. I had my questions about him coming out of Florida State, but he really answered everything for me. And then you see the devastating knee injury. And we know that in year two, guys coming back, especially skilled players coming back from an ACL injury, it's questionable, and it's a little bit of a mur- murky territory. If everything checks out, if, every, if the knee is fine and, and Dalvin Cook is ready to go week one, which I think at this point people are probably expecting that, I still think that this guy steps back into a workhorse role. Jarek McKinnon's gone. He leaves behind a good bit good bit of work. And he got a big deal and he cashed in with the Niners. Latavius Murray played well last season, but Latavius Murray's track record, remember, is still not that great. And he was not an efficient running back in Oakland. So I think the door is wide open for Dalvin Cook, and people are going to be looking at Murray thinking, like, okay, he might be able to get a little bit, carve out a little bit more work this year. But I really believe that they're going to hand the keys back over to Dalvin Cook. And I think they're going to lean on him extremely, extremely heavily. And Latavius Murray is just going to be kind of that second fiddle guy. That's what I fully expect. So, look, last year he was on pace, Dalvin Cook that is, for 296 carries over 1,400 yards. 4.78 yards per carry, 8 touchdowns, 44 receptions, 360 yards. He would have finished as the number seven running back in both standard and PPR. Now, at some point, that five point whatever yards per carry would have had to come down a little bit and things would have kind of balanced out, so I don't think he was ever going to rush for 1,400 yards, but I think he was certainly going to rush for 1,200 yards. So, look, his ADP right now is at 2.1. He's first pick of the second round, and that's both in a a 12-team standard and PPR. So he's currently the number 10 running back in both formats. And look, I, I think 275, 250, 275 carries is certainly in the works this year for Dalvin Cook. Again, all assuming that the knee is fine and he comes back 100%. I think that there's probably going to be a little bit of a working the kinks out in the first three or four games of the season just to get back up to game speed for him because he hasn't played in so long since really last September the end of last september early october but i'm still looking at 275 carries 1150 yards puts him about 4.2 yards per carry i think nine or 10 touchdowns is even possible i'm gonna tab him at nine 38 catches 312 yards and that puts him in a top eight top eight running back so look right now I, i'm definitely definitely taking him over guys like you know christian McCaffrey and devontae freeman no question and I am really, I almost want to get on the train of taking him over Barkley and Melvin Gordon. I'm not quite there yet. I would just like to see a little bit more from the knee this offseason and in training camp, and hear a little bit more from Vikings camp. Just knowing, hey, this guy is full bore; he's ready to go, and I just might do it. So, look, I I just think just to kind of again put a bow on Dalvin Cook. I think that you can expect a workhorse load from him this season. And he's going to be another... He has a very good chance as long as everything holds up and he plays, you know, all 16 games or close to it to be a top 8 or top 10 running back again. Okay, the next guy, and this might be the most interesting of all the second-year guys, because he's somebody who... We thought was going to – Pat and I thought he was just going to come in last year and just be an absolute animal. From the from the time that he was handed the keys to be the starting running back in his offense, we thought he was going to be the man, and that's Joe Mixon. And Joe Mixon kind of fell flat on his face with – I'll have to look it up here. Getting my notes all out of sort. I think he – I know he had under four yards of carry. Three and a half yards a carry on 178 carries and only four touchdowns. So now that Jeremy Hill is in New England, we don't have to worry about that kind of hanging over Joe Mixon's shoulders. Gio Bernard's still there. They drafted Mark Walton, but I don't think that... I think both of those guys... Mark Walton probably won't have much of a role this season. We know what Gio Bernard's role is. I still think Gio Bernard is actually a pretty effective runner from what we've seen, but I just have to imagine that they're going to give everything... Not everything, but a lot to Joe Mixon this season. So I'm thinking 230 carries is certainly, certainly possible. 920 yards, five touchdowns is what I have him for this year. 40 catches, 340 yards, and a touchdown. That puts him at 202 fantasy points. And that would have been running back 13 last year. So you're probably not looking at a number one running back, but that's not where he's being drafted. You're probably looking at a very solid to mid RB2. So the people that <clears throat> look I know we said all last season let's buy low on Joe Mixon, buy low on Joe Mixon. People are probably fed up with that a little bit because of the downside that we saw with Joe Mixon and we saw how low that could be and it sucks. It really did suck. But I'm just I'm just cautioning you to hey, hold out some hope for this guy. I still think he's really talented. He comes into training camp down a little bit of weight this year. They boosted the line on the left side with Cordy Glenn, so the line should be a little bit better. The right side's still a little bit of a mess, but look, I'm taking him over, I'm very close to taking him over Jordan Howard. Jake might have talked me out of that a little bit. We were talking about that yesterday. I don't know how I feel about that quite yet. Because I still think Joe Mixon's going to offer you a decent amount in the passing game. And in a PPR league, I would certainly take him over Howard. A standard, I don't know if I'm ready to do that yet. But I think I'm going to take him over Howard in a PPR league. I'm going to take him over Derrick Henry. And I think I'm prepared to take him over Jarek McKinnon at this point. Because I've kept moving Jarek McKinnon down my board because... Again, I just think he's he's probably my biggest flop candidate at this point because of the reasons I talked about in the last podcast, the fact that he hasn't carried the ball more than 160 times in a season, and we just don't know if he's going to hold up. So, uh, Devontae Freeman, I'm just kind of looking at my notes here. Devontae Freeman was one guy I'm probably not prepared to take Joe Mixon over quite yet, but um, yeah, I mean... I'm just high on the guy. I still think that I'm holding out hope that he's still going to be a very, very productive back when he gets that workload. Right now, he's going as the first pick in the third round in standard and PPR formats. He's going as RB16 in standard and number 15 in PPR. Okay, let's uh, close this thing out and get out of here. We have Juju Smith-Schuster as our number four guy, our number four second-year guy taking 30th in the second round last year, as I mentioned before, to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He finished the number 2017 season as the number 23 receiver in PPR, number 18 in standard. I mentioned earlier how his numbers compare a little bit to Brandon Cooks and the fact that, you know, he's going to be somebody who's going to be in that 16 to 17 yards per catch range, a little bit higher than than some guys. Um, and he did see, you know, five and a half, five point six 5.6 targets per game, Over the last 14 games last year, Antonio Brown missed a couple of those games. We know that Martavius Bryant was in and out of the lineup. Now he's gone, so that does vacate some targets. They do bring in James Washington to be wide receiver number three, but you know how I feel about rookie wide receivers. So, look, he did finish the season with six touchdowns over the final eight games last year, so that's all good and well. I do think that that catch percentage is going to come down a little bit. He was the second highest, or he had the second highest catch rate last season at 73%, behind Golden Tate, um, and that was in PPR, so I just think that that's probably going to come down a little bit, and just kind of crunching the numbers, I do think that 95 targets is attainable for Juju in 2018. And that would put him right around 30th in targets. But you gotta remember that 350 plus targets are probably gonna be divided up between A B, Bell, and Juju. So man, it, it's just uh it's just a lot, lot to go around. So I don't think that we cannot catapult Juju Smith Schuster into a number one wide receiver role this season in in fantasy, that is. Um I do think that catch rate's gonna go down a little bit. But the uptick in targets, at least a little bit. Look, I have him at 67 catches, 1,038 yards, about 15.5 yards per reception, and six touchdowns, which puts him, you know, almost at 207 fantasy points, and that puts him right around wide receiver 15. I don't think those numbers are anywhere out of the question. So, I don't know if he will necessarily... I'm not drafting him that high, I don't think... Hilton, I don't even think he's necessarily going to finish quite there. I would think more around like 17, 18 again. Um, but the opportunity for him to jump up, he did only play in 14 games last year, so the opportunity over a 16-game schedule for him to jump up a little bit is certainly there, and I would not, I wouldn't doubt it by any means at this point. So, look, I mean, current ADP, 4.8 in PPR, that's wide receiver 19, and uh, 4.5 in standard. I mean, I would still prefer Golden Tate over Juju in a in a PPR league. I am on the fence between him and Demarius, but I'm starting to sway a little bit more towards Juju just because I I think that Demarius, as I had mentioned in previous episodes, is you know kind of heading on that downswing, and I'm I'm just a little bit worried about his ability to stay on the field as well as produce this year, even with the quarterback upgrade. Um I'm, I'm still taking Allen Robinson and Alshon over him in both formats. So just kind of give you an idea of, uh, you know, of where I want him this season. All right, folks, that is all the time we have for tonight. I appreciate you listening in again to pad the stats. We're going to have, I'll probably have another episode middle of next week. So uh, look out for that. Um, again, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about yet. So I don't know. We'll figure that out as the week goes, but Hey, thanks again for, to everybody join us you know remember to uh subscribe on the podcast subscribe to the podcast you can find us on stitcher on tune in on google play music um and uh we will see you next time have a good night everybody bye